right, I want you to notice in John chapter 3 and verse 29, it says, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. And that statement, he must increase, I must decrease, is without a doubt probably one of John's most uh, famous quotes, except for, you know, repent, uh, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But it should be the goal of every believer and every leader in Christianity to increase the name of Christ rather than their own name. Now, we live in 2021. We live in the age of social media where every crackpot, weirdo, loser, whatever you want to call them in the world can get a following, you know, through social media. And we live in, without a doubt, the most narcissistic generation that there has ever been. Uh, all the tools to help people become lifted up with pride, you know, to become a narcissist. We, we have those things at our disposal and it is amazing what it does to people and how it can change people. Uh, I, I've been, I was just watching a, a thing yesterday on the subject too, because I've just, I've kind of been fascinated by, I, I just learned about this concept of Instagram girls where it's these girls who basically their lives on Instagram look perfect, but it's just completely fake. And it's just, it's a very revolting thing. I'm always behind on this stuff, but I guess some people know about it. I just found out about it and I'm like, this is messed up. All of a sudden now I'm understanding the problems a lot of people are having. You know, and not just girls, not just young teenage girls. I mean, grown men, preachers. You know, because of social media, you know, they are able to give off this illusion of something that they are not. And it, and it almost becomes a reality to them. And ultimately what it's about, it's about lifting themselves up. And, you know, it's, you know, and it's one thing for, you know, some person from the millennial generation, Gen Z or whatever, do that. but you know, when a pastor is doing that kind of thing, we've got a problem. You know, our job is to increase Jesus Christ. We're supposed to lift him up. Amen. That's the edge we're supposed to have. And you know, you think us as Baptists too, we like to talk about John the Baptist. You know, what's one of his most famous sayings? He must increase, I must decrease. Yet we're always trying to find a way we can increase ourselves a little bit. And so the title of this morning, the title of the message this morning is I must decrease. But before we talk about that and how it applies to us, I think it's important that we understand the significance of what John was saying when he made this famous statement. There's a lot of things that I think when we, when we understand why he said this and uh, what it meant, I, I think it really does mean a lot. But notice in verse 22, it says, And after these things came Jesus and his disciples in the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Anon, near to Salem, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. Now, I love this because I love how human beings don't change. Okay? People don't change. Uh, and I get it. We have new tools to enhance our sin nature, but nothing has changed. So what do we have going on here? We've got John preaching. We've got Jesus preaching. Now, you and I all know that there's no conflict between these two, right? But notice how John's disciples, when he sees Jesus getting attention, he goes and he, like, they like tattle to John. 
hey, somebody's, you know, everybody's listening to this guy. You know, are you going to say something about him? You know, are, are, are you going to expose this guy? You know, but no, the thing is, it turns out this guy that was actually getting more attention is the one that John was preparing people for. But John's disciples, they don't understand that. So they do human nature and they try to pit this guy against John. And let me, people do the same thing today. You know, most of the time when I have a problem with preacher, so, uh, here's how it starts out. Oh, I didn't even notice it, but somebody in my church showed me this clip of you and it's just like, yeah, I know where that kind of thing comes from. That's, yeah, that's a human nature thing. And it's just, it just shows people never change. But here's what we got to understand. John had started his ministry before Jesus did. He was, John was kind of the main act, you could say. Because think about this. One of the reasons we have, what, um, you know, a, there's a big gap in time between Malachi and Matthew in the Bible. They're what's known as the 400 silent years. And the reason for that is because there were no prophets that spoke during that time. Even if you read the uh, so-called Apocrypha that some people try to claim was in the Bible, even Jews uh, never recognized that as Scripture because there were no message from prophets anywhere in there. No prophets spoke for 400 years. Think about how long ago that was. I mean, that's when, around the time our King James Bible came out. For us, 400 years ago. And then all of a sudden, God sends a prophet again. So understand, this guy's going to be a pretty big deal. This is a big day in Israel when there's a, a prophet speaking after 400 years and people are coming to him. People are listening to him. He obviously is a big deal. This generation had only heard of the prophets. I mean, they didn't even, nobody was even alive then that knew a generation that knew the prophets. We were talking about the other day how we think it's amazing that, you know, we have Miss Hazel, Miss Beulah here that had an uncle that they remember that fought in the Civil War. Because that just seems so disconnected from us. And, it's, and so imagine that much time and then here a prophet comes along. So this is a, this is a very big deal. John is a very big deal. And so, uh, you know, now what we're seeing, this guy who was getting the tension, now all of a sudden somebody else is kind of getting the attention. And God was using John for a great period of time, but after he baptized Jesus, we're starting to see a shift where John takes a back seat to Jesus. Okay, Now, understand, you and I, we all get the fact, oh, that's fine, I'll take a back seat to Jesus. You know, we, we get that. Okay? I, 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 but think about this. You know, we need to understand it was not fully revealed during this time exactly who Jesus was. John's disciples... It, you know, it appears they, they see another man just stealing the limelight. They didn't completely understand it, even though this is the guy John had been preaching about. But they, they didn't fully understand that yet, and John has to tell them again here. And so even though they didn't have social media, they didn't have television in those days, they still had the same problem with people seeking preeminence in communities. And we see in Mark 15, verse 9, you don't have to turn there, but it says, But Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priest had delivered him for envy. Why did the chief priest hate Jesus so much? It wasn't even so much because of what he was teaching, but it was because of the fact people were listening to him over them. And of course, and it didn't help that he contradicted those guys quite a bit too, called those guys out. But at the end of the day, it wasn't about... Uh, you know, it wasn't because these guys had a love for the truth. It was because they had a love for themselves. And how dare this guy 
you know, he's stealing our subscribers. You know, he's, he's, he's stealing our followers. We've got to get him. You know, we've, we've got to destroy him. People don't change, folks. People never change. Same, same problems, just different tools to cause those problems. Murder's always been around before guns and swords and all that. It's, all, it's always been around. People don't change. And so envy and pride are things that all people struggle with. And John, though we know he is an extremely exceptional man because he was full of the Holy Ghost. He, he makes some statements here next that we're going to see that all of us know we should say this, but we can rarely say it and feel it at the same time. And we see, and so in verse 27, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. So if Jesus has something that John doesn't have, it's because heaven gave it to him is what he's saying. So he's like, I mean, clear, I mean, let, let, you know, let's just admit it. John the Baptist was great. Jesus outdid him, didn't he? Jesus was doing miracles. Jesus' preaching was even better. Every, everything was better about that. But John understood this, hey, this was given to him from heaven. So we need to understand sometimes God gives some things to people that he doesn't give to other people. You know, and we just need to be, we just need to use what God's given us. He said in verse 28, Ye yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. So John is saying, I never claimed to be Christ. It was my job to prepare the way for him. That was John's job. And so let me illustrate exactly what John was, because this is what we're supposed to be too. So picture, if you would, a super fancy ball, all right, where there's all these dignitaries. You've all seen it on TV before, the big fancy ball. Uh, you have the dignitaries when they enter, you know, they come walking down the steps and typically you have some guy announcing them, right? You'll have that guy there shouting out their names. And so imagine... You know, if it was your job at some big fancy ball to announce the president, all right, and let's, let's forget about what we think about the president or anything right now, all right, We're, but, but the office, all right, let's say it was in the 80s and it was Reagan, all right, okay, yeah, all right, so just, we're, we're making an illustration here, so don't go, don't go too literal on me, okay, but I mean, if, if that was your job to announce the president, you know, that, that's a pretty big job. Now, do you understand, especially today, if you, if it was your job at some big event to announce the president, you realize a lot of eyes are going to be on you. A lot of people are going to, are going to watch you. If it was your job, um, if you were Speaker of the House and right before the State of the Union, where a lot of people are watching to hear what the president has to say, you have the Speaker of the House that typically gets up and, is it the Speaker of the House or is it the Vice President that usually introduces... Uh, President of the United States, I can't remember, but it's one of them that they get up and they announce it. Now, that's your job. You're announcing them. You're, you know, you've got people that are waiting for the president and you're just announcing them. A lot of people are going to see you. Now, if you're selfish, if you're like a typical American today looking for attention, that's your opportunity to get some attention, right? But that's not your job. Your job is not to get attention for yourself. Your job is to draw attention to the one that you're announcing. And it would be wrong if I received that honor of going and announcing the president at something, if I do something while I'm there to promote myself. You know, if all of a sudden while I'm up there announcing the president, you know, I, I rip open my shirt and I got a sign that says, give me libertybaptist.com, you know, <laughs> you know, subscribe on YouTube. You know, if I, that would be horrible to do something like that. That's not my job. 
That's not what I'm there for. I'm not there to get attention for myself. I'm there to draw attention to one. And that's kind of what John the Baptist's job was. He was there announcing Christ. And so here's the thing. Once I do that, once I announce whoever it is I'm supposed to announce, everybody, they weren't waiting for me. People aren't there anticipating. Now, people are waiting to hear me do the announcement, not because they're anxious to hear you know, my voice, but because they're looking for the president. And so once he comes, my job is done. It's not, I shouldn't be looking, seeing if the cameras are still on me and then do something to draw attention to myself. That would be wrong for me to do that. And so John the Baptist, his job of preparing the way of the Lord, he did that. He was preaching about him. He was preaching him. And then when Jesus came, he identified him. He baptized him. When he did that, that was his job. That was what he was supposed to do. Jesus is now on the scene. He's now doing his thing. And the, the job of John is, is done. And so, verse 29, he says, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all, and he that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And he and what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received this, his testimony hath said to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. And let me tell you something. John right here, he is an exalt. He, he, he's, he's not just talking here and sounding good. John is literally doing his job to his disciples who are like having a problem with the fact that Jesus is getting all the attention now. He is exalting Jesus. He is showing just how superior Jesus is to himself. I mean, really, when you stop and think about it, I mean, you know, you got John the Baptist, Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the main thing, right? He's the one that we should be focused on. This is normal. This was right. In fact, this was fulfilling for John because this is what he was all about. So he says in verse 35, the father loveth the son and hath given all things to his hand. He, you know, he had no problem admitting that God had a special favor for Jesus because John understood exactly who Jesus was. And John understood who he was. John... He was a saved son of God like we are, but Jesus was the saving only begotten son of God. Did you know, did you know God doesn't get John the Baptist without Jesus? So obviously, you know what? We shouldn't have a problem with that. God favors Jesus above the rest of us. Hey, he, he's, he is the only, we're sons of God, but Jesus is the only begotten son of God. You want to you know why God even favors us in any way. You know, the only reason God has saved us is because his son paid for our sins. That's why, because of what Jesus did. He's going to let us go into heaven one day, not because of any works that we did, but because of what Jesus did. He saw what Jesus did on the cross. And so because God has so much love for him, and you know, don't get me wrong, God loves us too, but he loves Jesus more. And I'm okay with that. You know, I, I don't have a problem with that because we have the sinless, only begotten Son of God, and us, fallen man. So, you know, we shouldn't, be, we shouldn't be surprised by that. I don't have a problem if anybody in here, if you love your son more than you love me. That's, that's pretty normal. 
Okay, that, that's pretty normal if you do that, and, and that's probably the way it should be. And so John, you know, John's looking at what God's doing. John understood how God had used him, but John also understood who Jesus was and what God was wanting to do with him. And at the end of the day, John was about pleasing God. John wasn't on this earth for himself. John wasn't, you know, here just to see what kind of following he could get. He was here to do the work of the Lord. And so in verse 36, he says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So what determines saved or lost is Jesus Christ, no one else. There's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. So John understood that. John was able to see that. And, and, and so here's an interesting thing too. When it comes to John decreasing, we know that at least one of John's disciples became one of Jesus' disciples. We see in Mark chapter 1, or John chapter 1 verse 40, says one of the two which had heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which, being interpreted, which is being interpreted the Christ. So think about that. One of these guys who was following around John, one of his close disciples, all of a sudden is now following Jesus. Well, you know, how dare he do that? You know, you were my disciple. But wait a minute. John understood that, hey, I'm here for Jesus. This isn't about advancing me. This isn't about promoting myself. It's about promoting Jesus Christ. And it's another interesting thing about John that I think is often overlooked is I, I believe that John was also a picture of the old covenant that was about to pass off the scene. Because think about it. John was the last Old Testament, uh, not apostle, uh, prophet. He was the last Old Testament prophet that they had. And you know what he did? I mean, he preached on sin. And that's where people get confused too on the repentance issue. Let me tell you, John preached repentance and he preached hard against these people's sin. Now, why did he do that? Because that old covenant was condemning every single one of these people and they thought they were fine. These people, they're, they're, they're supposedly reading the Old Testament and they're looking at themselves and saying, we're fine. We're children of Abraham. And you know what John did? John ripped on their sins and he told them to repent, meaning that they should believe on him that was coming after him. Because their works of the law the fact that they were Jews was not going to save them. And you say, well, you know, I, I don't believe in that replacement theology stuff. You know, well, John the Baptist, he took it to an extreme and thought God could replace him with stones. He said, say not within yourself, we have Abraham as our father. God is able to these stones. Oh, no, God can't do that because of what the law says. Well, you go talk to John the Baptist about that. If God could have replaced him with stones, I think he could replace them with people of faith. I, I believe that of Jews and Gentiles. So, you know, put that in your dispensational pipe and smoke that for a little bit, all right? But uh, anyway, lost, lost my spot here. So, ver Isaiah chapter 40. It's, this is a prophecy about John the Baptist. It says in verse 1, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 
Every valley should be exalted and every mountain and hill should be made low and the crooked should be made straight and the rough places plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Notice how it's talking about, this is a prophecy about John the Baptist. He's preparing the way of the Lord and when he does that, when he prepares the way of the Lord, you know what's going to happen? The glory of the Lord is going to be revealed. In verse 9, it says, O Zion that bringest good tidings. That's what the gospel is. Gospel is good news. Gospel is good tidings. Get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem that bringest good tidings. Lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. That's a good verse too for people who deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Behold. The Lord God will come with a strong hand and His arm shall rule for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His work before Him. So this is a prophecy about John the Baptist and this was his job. He was that last Old Testament prophet prophesying of the one who was going to come and take away the sins and it was going to do it under the new covenant because that old covenant, it couldn't take away sins. The blood of bulls and goats, it couldn't take away sins. Those things were just a shadow of what was to come. And Jesus Christ was that one that the Old Testament prophets spake about. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus expounded to those men on the road of Emmaus. He went through the entire Old Testament. He went through all the prophets and the Psalms and showed how they spake of Him. That's what they did. And John the Baptist was that last one that spoke of Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus Christ comes on the scene, you know, all of a sudden, that new covenant, it ends up superseding that old covenant, doesn't it? And uh, a lot of people don't like that word, superseding or supersessionism and things like that. But you better believe some things changed under the new covenant. And, it, and thank God it superseded that old covenant. Because if the old covenant is still in effect, we're in big trouble, aren't we? And this is just another subject for another day, but if you are not in Christ, you're still under the old covenant. And you don't want to be there. Because it, it will condemn every single one of us. So, uh, Matthew chapter... Uh, go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 11. So, John, you could say, he was, he was that last Old Testament prophet. His job was to show Israel their sins and to point them to, salute, to the solution, Jesus Christ. So, when people... Again, when people want to preach repent of your sins because of quotes from John the Baptist, here's what you've got to ask yourself. What did John point to as the solution for their sins? It was Jesus Christ. It was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He did not go to the law and point out the ones that they weren't keeping. He just, it would have been pointless to do that. It would have taken too long. And it doesn't matter anyway. You break the law, you're done. The only solution was Jesus Christ. And so, um, after he does his job, he died. And he died for doing his job. He was killed. He was executed. He was, he was thrown in prison. And he had his head cut off. So, pervy Herod could impress his niece. That, that's how he died. Folks, that, you know, that's, that's not a glorious death. Now, look what it says in Matthew 11, verse 7. Because I, I want us to think about something here. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. 
For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent taketh by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if ye will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And we'll stop reading right there. But right there, Jesus is showing just how important John the Baptist was. Not only was... And I don't have a whole lot of time to expound on that passage right there. But the one thing I want you to notice is how there was none greater born of women than John the Baptist. And let me tell you something. I believe, I believe when Herod had John the Baptist killed, I believe, that, I believe my, that's when he became reprobate, if you ask me. Because we see Jesus. He did not like Herod. He referred him as a fox. You know, and, and then when he was put before Herod, you know, Jesus didn't listen to the trendies and try to give him the gospel anyway. You know what he did when Her- Herod, Herod wanted to hear him preach. Herod was hoping to see a miracle. Herod was excited about seeing Jesus. You know what? Jesus didn't say anything to him. He didn't have anything to say to that guy. That's how, that's how, that's how wicked of a guy he was. And I do, I believe when he killed, I mean, John the Baptist, the greatest preacher next to Jesus, preaches to Herod, and Herod rejects. You know what? He's, he was done for at that point. And he killed John the Baptist. And let me, Jesus was not happy about that. So John the Baptist, he did not have a glorious ending. But you know what? Something tells me John the Baptist's ending is not over. Because you know what we see in the Bible? It talks about those who died that they might have a better resurrection. And let me tell you, John the Baptist doesn't seem to have seen much good in his life. But we see when it came to him doing his job, he nailed it. That he did exactly what he was supposed to do. He, I mean, Jesus was mistaken for John the Baptist. John the Baptist was mistaken for Jesus. You don't do any better than John the Baptist. He died in a humiliating, horrible way. Folks, I, I'm going to be really interested in seeing his resurrection when that time comes. I don't think John the Baptist is done. I think when Herod resurrects, you know, after the millennium, and stands before the great white throne of judgment, God might let John the Baptist throw Herod in into the lake of fire. I don't know. That'd be pretty cool. I like to think that. I know God doesn't think like I do. I can just see John the Baptist picking him up, you know, by the, you know, by the back of his pants. So I told you to repent. You know, say, uh, you shouldn't think that way. I, that's how I think. And uh, that's how I think it's going to happen. If I'm wrong, either way, Herod's going to the lake of fire. And, I, and I'm still interested to see what happens in John's Resurrection, But let me give you just a few quick lessons here that we can learn from the life of John and his statement, I must decrease, that we can apply to our lives. And I hopefully, you know, I wanted to share just the kind of significance of what he was saying and what was going on when he said that. Because when we get a deeper understanding of what was going on and what his job was and why he said this, I think it shows just how great of a man he was and how, uh, I mean, what a humble attitude. And, And thank God for that example. But here's what you need to understand. What, whatever you have to offer this world, it, whatever greatness you think you have because of you know, social media or just what any, anybody is telling you, understand anything you have to offer, it was given to you to use 
It was given to you by God to use for His glory. So great, you've got some things going for you. You know, you didn't obtain these things yourself. You know, 3.27, John 3.27, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. Okay, you're going to change the world with your good looks. Just understand, it was God that gave you those good looks. You're going to change the world with your great mind. Just understand, it was God that gave you that mind. And we never want to forget the fact that without Him, we can do nothing. And so many people today, God's given them great things. God's given them gifts. He's given them abilities. And they often use it to just advance themselves instead of advancing Christ. What a shame that, you know, and what a waste that is. You know, you're going to go, you know, people who are going to go and they're going to waste their lives trying to just get some kind of following of people who don't even really care about, about them. They, they, they look at you for entertainment. You know, that's all you're, you're entertaining to them for, for whatever reason. They, at the end of the day, they don't really care about you. And you're, so you're going to throw away the will of God. You're going to take those talents that God gave you to use for his glory to, Share with a bunch of people that are just going to prop you up a little bit only to turn on you as soon as the wind shifts. When you could be using that for the glory of God and receiving eternal rewards. You know what? That's a waste. It's a waste every time. And when we understand that everything we have, anything we have to offer this world, it was something that was given to us by God. You know, it's going to help keep us from getting lifted up with pride, which is going to nail every one of us. Pride will destroy any of us. If you've been get. and here's the other thing you got to understand. All right, I get it. You know, anything we have, it came from heaven. And boy, the Lord's sure blessed. Well, the Lord is sure given a lot. And I know none of us say that kind of thing out loud, but, you know, some of us think it. Some of you look like you think it and act like it. And just, you know, that's a terrible attitude. But, okay, let's just say for a minute that you have been given a lot. All right, you know, 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 we, we do this false humility thing. You know, I'm thankful for those people that are out there that, don't have a whole lot going for them. They're not real smart. They're not real talented. They're not that good of preachers. And so, you know, they don't have as many uh, you know, YouTube subscribers as I do. They don't have as many people that come to my church, you know. But, you know, you, you got to understand, you know, they're using what God's given them. So God's going to bless them, you know. And there's some of us God's just given more to. And, you know, and I've got almost 5,000 subscribers. And one of these days I might get as much as a loser video gamer who's got like a million. It's amazing people get lifted up with stuff like that. But, okay, but folks, if I've been given a lot, anyone who has been given a lot, here's what you need to understand. Now a lot's expected of you. And that means that's, that's more trouble we can get into. That's more we have to waste. That's more we have to lose. If we don't use it right, Luke 12, 48 says, but he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of them will they ask the more. So you know what? Don't get lifted up with pride if God's given you a few things. You know what you should do? Say, um, am I doing anything with it? You know, and there are, there's a lot of people out there sitting around with a lot of gifts, a lot of talent, and they're doing nothing with it. That's a shame. That is a shame. And you know, we ought to think about what God has given and make sure we're using it for His glory because God is going to judge us based on what we did with what we were given. And you know, and, if, and so if you've been given a lot, that's more that's expected of you. You've got a bigger responsibility. You know, you better, you better use it right because you're going to be in more trouble if you don't use it because you wasted more. And so uh, the next thing is all... 
always remember your place. In John 3.28, he says, Ye yourself bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before Him. That phrase, I must decrease. It's a reminder that we must always remember our place. It is our job to exalt Christ. We are not here to exalt ourselves. We are not here to promote ourselves. You know, and, and listen, often people do get exalted, but it should be God that does that exalting. It, we see in 1 Peter 5, 6, it says, Humble there, yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. And I like how he threw in that in due time there. Because, you know, hey, can you hurry up and exalt us? I used to think that too when we started the church here. It's like, I, I know we're the best church in town, but when's everybody else in town going to find that out? You know, when, when's everybody else in town going to figure that out? You know, and just understand, you know, when, when it's your time to shine, God will make sure that happens. But let me tell you something. If you're going to take that opportunity, if you get that opportunity to be put out there and you use it to just draw attention to yourself, if you get that job of just announcing the president and you put on a big show of yourself... And, used to, and we've seen people do this type of thing. You know, I, I remember, I, I love when an attempt at political correctness just fails miserably and falls flat. That's one of the most satisfying things. And this was a few years back, um, but I remember it was, it was in Canada, and they were singing the Canadian National Anthem, and these guys changed the words of the song, and they threw All Lives Matter in there. And a guy pulled out a thing that said All Lives Matter, and it was just like, and it offended everyone, because you don't change the words of a national anthem without offending that whole country. And then, uh, you know, it's supposed to be politically correct because we care about everybody. But then the black people get offended by that and it just, everybody hated them. You know, everybody hated these guys who were trying to do a politically correct feel-good moment. But you know what? When I saw that, I loved that that blew up in their face because it was their stinking job to just go sing the national anthem. People didn't come there to watch them sing the national anthem. They didn't come there to watch them promote a political message. They came to watch a ball game. And that just happens to be something you do before a ball game. And you shouldn't use those opportunities like that to just make it all about yourself. And I'm sick of that kind of thing. Whenever somebody gets asked to do something, you know, to go somewhere, and they always got to do something weird to just draw attention to themselves and some message completely un unrelated, whether it's AOC wearing her tax the rich dress or whatever that thing was she was at. It's just, these are just attention grabbing things. People trying to use an opportunity. I'm going to be on camera. What can I do to make this about me? What can I do this to advance myself? And let me tell you, if that's how you act, if that's how you operate, then why would God exalt you? Let me, the people that God's going to exalt are the ones who are lifting up His name. The ones who are increasing Christ. That's the ones that He's going to focus on because there's no benefit to the world in exalting you. There's, but there is a great benefit to the world in Jesus Christ being, being exalted. And so understand, in due time, God will exalt you. But you know what? You've got to be humble first. And a lot of people can't overcome that hurdle, but you need, you need to figure that out. So the last thing is make sure, make it your mission. And this is something, I get this is the millennial generation. It's all about me. It's all about attention for ourselves this is how we are. But, you know, we need, to say, we need to make it our mission. It should be our life's calling to make God happy instead of figuring out how God can make us happy. You want to know why a lot of people obey God? So God will make them happy. And, you know, I mean, that could potentially work. 
Because if, if, you if you come to church and you're like, all right, I just want to be happy. Now, I'm going to do whatever God says to do because that will make me happy. You know? and, and if you start obeying the commands of God, there's going to be some blessings. But at the end of the day, you've got to understand that sometimes obeying the commands are really difficult. Sometimes they don't make us happy. You know, love your enemies isn't always a fun thing. Turn the other cheek isn't always a fun thing. Enduring temptation, enduring persecution, those aren't necessarily fun things. And so if your attitude is, I'm going to do the things of God so God will make me happy, you got to understand that at some point, there's going to be a conflict. But if your job is, what can I do to please God? You know, if, you're, if that's your attitude, how you can make God happy that's when things are going to change. Because look what it says in verse 29. It says, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. So John the Baptist is going into a situation where he is not as important anymore, where not as much is going on, going on for him. In fact, he's going to end up getting thrown into prison. He's going to end up being killed. Bad things are about to happen to him. But you know what? He did his job. Jesus was exalted. God's will was done. And so you know what? John looked and said, my joy is fulfilled. And if our job is to, or if our goal, if our mission is to glorify God, then even if we suffer for his sake, hey, you know what? If the gospel was advanced, thank God for it. If God was glorified, thank God for it. And let me tell you something. God has been glorified by through the death of people. You know, God was glorified greatly with Paul and Silas when they were in prison. But you know, they had to go to prison first. I'm really glad Paul and Silas weren't interested in using God to make themselves happy. And they, but no, that, that wasn't them. Their attitude was, what can we do to please God and glorify God? And so you know what they did? They praised them even in prison. And yeah, God got them out. But... It didn't stop Paul from still getting beat several times, or in prison several other times, shipwrecked, and all the things that he went through. But at the end of the day, Paul's joy was fulfilled because God's will was done. And you know what? He was happy even during those things. And that's what we need to understand. You know, what will make us the happiest, what will give us the most fulfillment, is those things come from God. And so I believe we would be happier suffering for the cause of Christ than we would be just getting all the things that we want for ourselves. Those people aren't happy. But the problem is, if that's not our mindset, if that's not our goal, we are not going to feel that way. And so we need to be like John and understand a life lived for Christ, it's never wasted. Well, you know, I've lived all this time on this earth and I, I've never got to experience all these things that the millionaires get to experience. I haven't got to do this. I haven't got to do that. There's a lot of things that we're probably never going to get to do. You know, we'll probably never have the money for it. But at the end of the day, um, that's not what we're about right now. And, you know, I'm content with, you know, laying up treasures in heaven. You know, where I can enjoy them for eternity. Fulfillment has never been found in a life devoted to self. And just read the book of Ecclesiastes. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon was more successful in going after everything that people to this day still go for to find happiness. He was more successful than any of us. And yet, it wasn't fulfilling for him. And, and we, we, ought to, we need to learn from that. So there will always be people 
who, you know, you will be a major part of their life. You know, your children, for example. You know, or somebody, maybe somebody that you get saved, you had a big part in. You know, we need to understand that eventually we're going to become less a part of their lives. You know, one of these days, you know, my girls that love me and think I'm the greatest, one day are going to look at some other guy and think he's greater than me. And, and, and probably like him better than me. And eventually, we'll listen to him over me. I don't know, you know. <laughs> that's one, you know, you, know, you dads with daughters, think about that for a little bit. You know, that's, that's not a real pleasant thought. But you all understand that, you know, that kind of needs to happen. You know, if they're going to get married, where, you know, the husband must decrease, the father's going to decrease, the husband must increase, the father must decrease a little bit. It's like, you know, that, that's a tough pill to swallow. But, you know, we should make it our mission with, you know, I just got depressed. Think about that. You know, so, but, you know, we, we should make it our mission with everyone that we do have influence over to help them get closer to Christ, less dependent on us and more dependent on him. That should just, that should just be our attitude with everybody. And, you know, and there, and there may, you know, there may come a point, you know, there's going to come a point where people that are in this church that, you know, I was a help to, and that were kind of dependent on me spiritually for a while. One of these days might go leave here, go to, you know, go have their own ministry. They don't even need me anymore. It's just like, you know, I kind of liked when I was a go-to guy, but you know, that's good. If people figure out how to get a hold of God themselves, you know, there was a time they always had to ask me about their questions in the Bible. Now they can figure it out themselves. You know, that's good. That's good because I'm not here trying to see how many people I can get loyal to myself. That's what we would call a cult. I'm here trying to exalt Jesus Christ, trying to announce him, declare him. And it's my goal that Jesus Christ will be increased in every one of your lives. And if, and if I am a big part, if I am a, a crucial part of your life, you know, I, I hope that you become less dependent on me over time and more dependent on Christ. Because that's, that's what I'm here for, to get people falling in love with Him. And so, that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for this example of John the Baptist and just what an amazing man he was. And I pray You'll help us to uh, keep this attitude. Lord, help us not to say it, but help us to mean it. Uh, this attitude of uh, You increasing and us decreasing. And I pray we'll uh, always remember our place and who we are. And uh, we will live to please You instead of figuring out uh, living how in a way to get you to please us. In your name we pray. Amen.